Mike, and I am so thrilled you're listening in with us at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's Word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by His mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Over the next few weeks, we are talking about tough questions people ask about Christianity. And in particular, today we're discussing, I feel like a really difficult one, how could a good God send people to hell? Maybe you've wondered that, or maybe you've had others ask you that question. So either way, we hope we hope that this gives you good insight and an answer. So let's get started. On today's episode of Root Like Faith, we are talking about hell, and more specifically, how could a loving God send people to hell? But as we'll see, hell is not where God sends us. Hell is what God gives us. Now, hold on, because we're going to explain this. We're going to talk about this. And this is just a really important thing to understand. And I have to be honest, I'm so grateful, honey, that you're here as a pastor. And I know you've spent so many years studying and learning the Bible. And I just feel a lot better that you're with me (laughs) to talk about this topic because it is so complex. Um, And it's honestly a topic that people bring up a lot. I think it's a question a lot of people ask and they want to know how could a good God send people to hell because it just doesn't seem like it adds up. It seems inconsistent, right? With God's character. Right. You know, that's sort of a, a common objection when you know, when you're talking to somebody that's that's not yet a Christian. And mm-hmm. so I'm just wondering who who decided to do this mini series? You know, this is difficult. Honey. I'm ready to get back to something lighter. Right. This was you, let's you know, be honest. This is, I mean I, you're like, I'd like let's to just fast dive forward. in. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go for it. Uh, no, oh, this my is goodness. really I mean I think, you know, well I mean just to to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier, like this nobody really enjoys talking about hell. Right. Uh, and if you do, there's something wrong with you. And yet when you read the Bible, like you can't get around uh, the presence mm. of hell in the scriptures and uh, Jesus is teaching on it and, and the other New Testament writers, their, their instruction on it. So it is, I think, something really important for us as followers of Jesus, just to, again, as we, as we want to root ourselves in our faith, we want to be rooted in Christ. Uh, that means, um, you know, having a, a biblical picture, biblical understanding of what hell is and how that's consistent, you know, with, with God's character and why that matters for us as followers of Jesus Mm -hmm. and why it matters for family and friends or classmates, you know, that, that are not following Jesus. Right. And I, I think, you know, some people, because it just doesn't make sense, the tendency is to dismiss hell altogether. Like we think, well, this, this doesn't add up. So it must just not even be true. It must not be real. Yeah, we maybe we need to you know interpret that a different way today than than they had in the past. That kind of thing. right. Or some people say the Old Testament, you know, is clearly approaching hell in a different manner than the New Testament. Um, this isn't true, right? These these arguments that we hear. Yeah. So let let's just maybe just sort of. Um, maybe paint a little bit of a big picture mm-hmm. of, of where we see that idea of hell in the scriptures. I and mean, I think, you know, for, um, you know, folks that are listening, I want to kind of take some notes. It'd be good to go back and read a couple of these when you have an opportunity to, but you know, in the old Testament, you know, especially in Daniel chapter 12, verse two, that that's a good example of kind of a common Jewish understanding. I mean, you don't see a, a very 
well-developed concept necessarily of hell in the Old Testament. I mean, you see mm. um, sort of seeds of that and it'll come into greater clarity as Jesus talks about it and the New Testament writers talk about it. But, you know, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 is, is one example. And, and I think, you know, kind of the common Jewish understanding, you know, in the Old Testament and really leading up to the time of Christ and even in the in the time of Christ is that, you know, hell was this place of, you know, it's kind of the, the abode of the dead. Mm. It's where um, both the righteous and the unrighteous went, or the unrighteous went, you know, when they died. Mm. And so you, you kind of see that concept uh, in the Old Testament and, and certainly um, in the time of Jesus as well. But Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 would be one example from the Old Testament for those that want to just look at that uh, at some point. And then, you, you know, you see the idea of hell talked about, you know, throughout the New Testament in Second Thessalonians verses 1, you know, um, or chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. You see this um, this teaching by the Apostle Paul. Peter talks about it, you know, in Second Peter uh, chapter two, verse four, that that hell is the place of judgment for fallen angels. Mm. And then I think what what surprises a lot of people is that Jesus talked about hell a lot. And so you're talking about that idea that that oftentimes we try to to sort of force a division between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Right. And we try right. to go, oh, man, the, the God of the Old Testament just seems so mad all the time. He just seems so mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. And the God of the New Testament just seems so kind and, mm-hmm. and loving. And yet that's that's not quite true. And you see God's mercy and his grace, you know, throughout the Old Testament. And then you see in the New Testament, Jesus talking about a hell, you know, talking about hell a lot. And so that, that division isn't quite as clean as people would like it. But let me give some references of where Jesus talks about hell but before I do that, you know, this might be helpful. You know, there's a couple words that are generally translated from the Hebrew and the Greek. And so when we read that word hell, there's usually either a Greek word behind it okay. or a Hebrew word behind mm-hmm. it. So, um, you know, again, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew uh, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so oftentimes what you'll read in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word Sheol or Gehenna. Th- those are two Hebrew words that get translated for us as hell. Um, in the New Testament, you know, you read Hades, uh, that, that's the Greek word that gets translated hell. So when Jesus talks about hell, Gehenna is an interesting one because Gehenna actually is translated Valley of Hinnon. And it was this valley just outside of Jerusalem. I think it's on the south side of Jerusalem. And it was the place where the, it was like a garbage dump. So if you ever mm. see these images, you know, on TV or you know, maybe we've seen those types of places, you know, even in the world today mm-hmm. where there's like this, this, you know, refuse that's just, you know, burned and it's mm-hmm. smoldering and smoking. I mean, that's what the Valley of Henan was. It was a, essentially a garbage dump and it was a place of decay and mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, this rotting, smoking, smoldering place. Wow. What a and, powerful picture. Yeah. And it was also, you know, the, the place where, you know, child sacrifices happened. Right. You know, the Old yeah. Testament mentions that. I remember that. hearing about that. So yeah. what Jesus does is he oftentimes picks up on a, in a physical place that would have been very familiar to those living in the city of Jerusalem or living in, in, you know, the land of the, what we call the land of Israel today. Mm-hmm. And so he picks up on that that symbolism or that physical place to essentially make spiritual proclamations about what hell is like. And so every Jew living in Jerusalem or living in the land of Israel knew exactly what the what Valley of Hanan, yeah, what he was talking about. Right. And so he uses that that imagery when describing uh, what, what hell is like or what eternal separation from mm. God is really like. And so I think in the New Testament... Um, that, that word Gehenna gets translated 12 times or to use 12 times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that, that 11 of those 12 are used by Jesus. So you just think about that for wow. a moment. Uh, 11 out of the 12 uses in the New Testament 
are coming from Jesus himself, where he's talking about hell and he's referencing Gehenna, or at least that that word is behind. Yeah, and that is so powerful to think about because he is pointing the people there that he is speaking to. He is he keeps pointing them to that to think about this this place, yeah, this terrible, awful, up close, personal, vivid place. Yeah, what? Wow, that's just really a powerful picture. I think a powerful picture for us even today, but I'm certainly for those um, that would had seen it had you know with their eyes seen that valley yeah so when you have that sort of at the at the you know in the background of what jesus is talking about when he's describing hell i mean here's a couple places where he describes hell. i mean he speaks of hell as a fiery furnace in matthew 13 42 uh, he speaks of it as a place of weeping and the gnashing of teeth in luke 13 verse 28 he talks about it as a place of outer darkness uh, in matthew 25 verse 30 he talks about it uh, as a place where the worm, you know, does not die in Mark chapter 9, verse 48. And then he talks about it as a place of eternal punishment in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. And then he talks about it as a place of unquenchable fire in Mark chapter 9, verse 43. And then, you know, you just see again that, that imagery and um, again, a real life connection to a place that many mm. of the Jewish people would have been very familiar with. Yeah. And so... You know, Jesus, the, the point there is that clearly that, that dichotomy that people try to make between a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament is not is not, it's fair. not accurate. It's I not mean, accurate. That you see how the picture he's showing there of how, yeah. okay, and now we see also why we don't like to talk about hell. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, it's scary. It's, it's intense. And I also, that I think of the people, you know, sometimes we also... Um, there are people that do like to talk about hell. Well, yeah, and that's okay, honey. That's what I was just going to talk about. (laughs) But like, I think about the cringeworthy times where I'm walking. You know, we used to we went to school at Moody Bible Institute. Obviously, this is a long time ago now, but (laughs) um, and so we were in downtown Chicago. We lived in downtown Chicago for about four year, five years, and um, I remember walking, you know, down the sidewalks, and the people are standing there. Uh, the sidewalk preachers, or I guess you would call them, but it, they were actually kind of scary to me. And I was following Christ, right? <laughs> I was scared of them because they were shouting and it was, you know, you're going to hell. And, and I don't know, I, I don't think of like, is that the right way? Do we scare people? We don't yeah. want to scare people into accepting Jesus and following Jesus. Um, but it is important. I don't want to minimize the importance of talking about hell, but there has to be a different way. And I think that we see that Jesus talks about hell in a a different way than that. He does. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, just you're sharing that story about being in Chicago. And I was, you know, thinking back to, you know, um, I guess it was last season when we were on our way to the big house to Michigan Stadium. Yeah, not and everybody I, knows what the big house is. I know. I just is. assume that everybody is a is a super fan, Michigan, Michigan super fan like I am. Michigan but, football super fan. But anyway, fan, we yeah. were on our way to the stadium on, on that glorious October Saturday afternoon when we could still gather in large crowds and, yeah. and Ruth the Wolverine's on. And there were, you know, several... Um, you know, followers of Jesus who were doing just what you were mm, describing. Mm-hmm. They were there on the corner, not far from from the main gates. Yeah, they the make you qu- like. Then you question. Oh, I I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that, that is, and, and I know other people have talked about about that. Um, it, that it that is never the way Jesus uses hell. Mm. Um, and so I think one of the interesting things that when you read the Gospels is that Jesus is oftentimes talking to the religious 
when he's talking about hell, that, that usually when he's talking to the irreligious, you know, it's when Jesus is talking to the irreligious that, that he, um, you know, he does not, um, you know, sort of try to uh, bully them, uh, bully in. them into yeah. heaven or to argue them into heaven in that way or scare them into heaven. And so when you read the Gospels, which this is an interesting thing to do, you know, pick a gospel to read through Matthew or through Mark or Luke, mm. and you'll notice that that oftentimes Jesus is talking to religious people when he talks about the idea of hell. And so I think that's just really important for us that, that on the one hand, I, I, we do need to take serious the reality that, that Jesus, he came and he laid down his life for us, that he is a gracious God who, um, you know, died for us and he has been raised to new life for us. And there is coming a day when, when we will stand before God, that mm-hmm. God's judgment is real. And so um, we need to take that serious and, and it ought to, you know, our love for people and where they're going to spend eternity ought to, um, it, it ought to um, move you know, us move to us. share how we ought to be them. broken over that. And right. we, we ought to have a, a real love um, and real, we should be compelled mm-hmm. you know, to tell other people about Jesus if, if we really believe um, in, in that eternal reality. And yet Jesus doesn't seem to like try to spook people into heaven mm-hmm. in that way. And so I think that's just a really good reminder for us um, as we are talking to friends or to family members or classmates or neighbors that, um, you know, leading in that way is not the way Jesus did it. And it's mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessarily terribly effective either in the culture that we live in. I think when you look back at different times in history, different movements of God, that there were times, you know, where that type of preaching mm-hmm. or approach, you know, may have been more effective. But I think you, you always, as a good missionary, as a good follower of Jesus, trying to reach people with God's love, and his grace, you, you want to think about um, wh- what's the most effective way. Right. And so you don't see that in the life of Jesus. And I think as you think about our culture, um, you want to you want to do it in a way that that takes as many of those barriers out of the way as possible yeah. for them to hopefully receive you know God's love and His grace with um, gentleness with, and yeah. humbleness. And we see you know, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Like we right. we don't do that uh, you know on our own. That the Spirit of God is the one that is drawing people to a saving faith. And through relationships, which is, you know, I think through relationships we can have such an impact. Um, And this, that brings us back to the question. So we've set the stage here. And what do you say, you know, when your friend asks you how could a good God, a good loving God send people to hell? So when... When a friend asks that or when you feel um, when you're questioning that yourself, um, let's talk about what is underneath that question. Honey, what yeah. what do you why do you think people like what what are you getting at there? What's under all that main question that we're kind of answering yeah, I think, today? I, mean, I think that's really important to to get behind the question. Right. We've, we've talked about that. You know, when we were in the previous episode, when we were talking about, you know, how could a good God allow so much suffering? And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, you know, behind that question, there's certain misconceptions mm-hmm. somebody has or. Well, it helps us answer personal... the question better when yeah. we know what's yep. behind it. Yeah. So I think there, there's behind that question, you know, you want to get behind certain, you know, again, myths that people might believe about, you know, who we are, who God is. And so I think one of them that is really important just to keep in mind as we're having that conversation or as God gives us opportunities is I think the myth that people are basically good. Mm. And so when somebody's mm-hmm. asking that question, part of what they're likely believing is that we're basically good and so therefore deserving of spending forever with God. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a totally different starting point than what the scriptures right. teach, right? So yeah. Genesis 1, of course, before the fall, is that we were created you know, as image bearers of God. We were created to know God, to experience life and truth and beauty and goodness, all of those things. And yet Genesis three tells us about that fall 
And we still bear the image of God, but but sin distorts that. Mm. And so the Bible begins to talk about, especially in the New Testament, this idea that, that even though we're still image bearers of God, and we are still loved by Him and created by Him for a purpose and with meaning, that we're born with a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And so we that's a very different starting point than most people are starting from who don't believe in God, who are not following Jesus. And so sometimes you're just getting behind that. Well, that's and, true. That's and getting a really to, good point. getting um, to the conversation that, that, no, we're not basically good. We're, we're basically bad. We have, a, we have what the scriptures say, a fallen, sinful human nature. And so our greatest need then is to be saved, to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So th- I think that's that's part of it. I mean, certainly that's not all of it, but just right. sort of getting at, at the core um, is, you know, getting uh, to, to that question. Then I think the second thing that people are oftentimes wrestling with is they, they buy into, you know, another myth, and that myth is that God can't be just and loving at the same time. Yes, that is, that's a very, I think that's very prevalent. People, that they can't reconcile that. Yeah, and so I think, you, you know, they oftentimes will say, well, I, I could never reconcile in my mind, you know, a loving God sending somebody to hell. And, and yet we would never want God to be all love. I mean, just think about in in our life, like we, we would not want um, prisons to be opened. Like we believe in justice. I mean, we believe in love, but we also believe in justice. And we would not, um, you know, we, we all want justice done. Because there's evil. Because there's yeah. evil in the world. There's sin in the world. There's... Um, you know, great uh, wrong that happens from other people. And mm-hmm. so I think part of getting to that answer is um, is also getting, you know, to that myth behind the, the question, which is that God can't be loving and just. And as we've talked about before, I mean, God is a unity, um, that he is the sum of all of his attributes. Mm-hmm. And we oftentimes think that, that it's impossible for God to get angry, but like God gets angry because of his love. And mm-hmm. so what you see in the right. scriptures is that God's wrath or his love or his justice is a response to what it is that he loves. Yeah, and it to- it reminds me of like our kids, you know, when we're really upset about something maybe that they did, it's because we love them, right. you know, but yet we can, so that's like a real life example. We can be angry because we actually have this depth of love for someone. And I feel like that that's the picture I always get when I think of God um, loving and um, getting upset over things. Yeah, I think you know in the scriptures, you know, the opposite of, of love is not hate. Um, the opposite is is God's anger, His wrath. You know, and so again, you know, every time you see God get angry, um, it's it's out of an expression or response to that which He loves. So God um, is wrathful towards falsehood because He loves truth. Mm. Um, God becomes wrathful or angry at impurity because. God is, he, he loves purity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just go down the list. And so God's anger and his rightful judgment is really a response out of that which he, which he loves. And so I think just helping people, again, that's not the only answer or the silver bullet answer to that. But again, it's a layer to talking through this with somebody that, that again, um, you know, we are basically, um, you know, uh, sinful. Uh, we, we are in need of a savior and that it's not inconsistent for God to be loving and just right. at the same time. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and then lastly, you know, we, we're talking about what's underneath the question. And so the, the third and, and final, I think, um, you know, sort of layer to this that's behind the question, underneath the question, is that God sends people to hell. Now, there will be followers of Jesus who, who believe that. There are certain camps mm. within within the church that, that believe that God 
chooses some to be saved and some to be damned. Um, but I think what you see in the scriptures is that that God, you know, he desires for all to come to a saving faith mm. in Jesus. You know, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is one example of that and talks about how God is patient. He, he's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Mm. And so the, the heart of God is that he, he loves us, that he has made a way for us to be saved uh, and to be forgiven through his son Jesus. And it's by grace through our faith in him that he washes us clean. He gives us you know, a new life. He gives us the hope of everlasting life, that, mm. that Jesus is judged on our behalf. He goes to the cross and he's punished for our sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stands in our place. And so at the cross, you see both God's justice and his love poured out. And, and so I think oftentimes, though, that what's underneath that, I mean, that's the gospel, that's the good news. But what's underneath that is this idea that, that God sends people to hell. And I think what we need to do is help people understand that it's not so much that God sends people to hell. It's that he gives us what we have chosen over and over and over again for our mm-hmm. entire life. That, that the, the logical conclusion of somebody rejecting God's love and his grace and his life over and over again is the reality of eternal separation mm. from God. Yeah, and that reminds me of Romans, Romans 1, 18 and 19. I'm going to read that really quick because I think that it's just so powerful. Uh, it, Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And that yeah. that scripture, I feel like, sums it up. He doesn't send people to hell we have we have a choice well i think that that i mean that i'm glad you brought up romans one because that passage you know you know paul says therefore god gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts Mm. you know so if you read that entire passage you know i think 18 through 25 one of the things that you notice about god's you know we oftentimes think of god's wrath as you know god opening the heavens and just pouring down you know fire and brimstone right (laughs) but what paul's teaching is that god's wrath sometimes is just giving us what we want um, mm. giving us what we desire, that, that we God think gives we want, us or right. what we think we want. Right. And so God gives us over, Paul is saying, to our sinful desires. And, and that's the idea that that's really what most of the church has believed for uh, most of church history, uh, is this idea that that God doesn't so much send us to hell as much as we choose. God gives mm. us um, that free choice. I and mean, we, um, you know, God is pursuing us by his grace and we reject that, we resist that. And, um, and so hell then is the, um, the freely chosen eternal separation Mm -hmm. that that we experience because for a lifetime we've said no to God essentially. And so I think, you know, one of the, the, um, you know, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis and, you know, he says it this way. He says that there are only two kinds of people, those who say thy will be done to God and those to whom God in the end says thy will be done. Mm. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will miss it. Wow. Now, don't miss that. I mean, that, that's, you know, he, he's talking about that idea that God doesn't so much send us to hell as much as he, he gives us hell. But he also says for those that, that um, seriously pursue or look or desire for joy, they won't miss it. And, and mm. what Lewis is saying is that it's not God's heart for anybody to spend eternity in hell, that the, the message of 
the scriptures is that God loves us, that he has been pursuing us. He is pursuing us right now for those that might be listening that, that are not a follower of Jesus, that God is pursuing you even in this moment. He loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you might experience the abundant life that you were created mm. to experience, that you were made for life and truth and goodness and beauty, intimacy with God and eternity with God. And that's what yeah. God wants for us. That's how much mm-hmm. he loves us. And so hell then is just the re- the rejection of that mm-hmm. over and over and over again, but it's never God's heart. Mm, I love that because, it, and it totally reminds me of just my own personal life growing up. I was not a Christ follower. I didn't grow up in a Christian home and I, but I knew there was something more. And I had this desire, like when I hear that quote by C.S. Lewis, this desire for joy. I did. I knew there was something more. I had this desire for hope and joy and, and I sought it out. I mean, honestly, and I, it's a free gift that God offers to us. Um, so I think the overall message here and really that the answer to this question, you know, how could a good God, a good and loving God send people to hell is that he doesn't send us to hell. He gives us the choice. We've been given the choice to follow God or not. And, um, you know, I remember last week we were talking uh, on the podcast about politics, which was a a weighty topic, but (laughs) very important to discuss. But, you know, the one thing that we came back to when we were talking about that was that our greatest problem is that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And I think that so pertains here as well to this topic that we need Jesus. We are in need of a sa- a savior and we can freely choose to follow him. Wow, what a great conversation today. And as you know, if you've been joining us every week, each week we walk away with a key idea. It's that main takeaway summing up what we've talked about. So today's key idea is hell is not where God sends us. Hell is what God gives us when we freely choose to reject his gracious invitation of heaven. We will also be sure to put that key idea in the show notes as well as anything else we referenced at rootlikefaith.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, and honestly, we'd love to see you over there. So at Patrick W. Schwank and at Ruth Schwank is where to be, or you can also follow us on Facebook. And as if I didn't say it enough already, I mean, we say this every single week, but we have to let you know we are so thrilled you're joining us, and we welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. If you enjoyed the show today, would you be so kind to leave us a review or rating That is a tremendous help to us as we spread the word about Root Like Faith, and we are so, so grateful for your help in that.